Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. 6.30 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 6.30 Chad. Edmonton's home for breaking news on your favorite teams. This is Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on the voice of your Edmonton Oilers and Eskimos. 6.30 Chad. There is no greater honor in the world of sports than being a guest on Inside Sports and doing such a great job you're asked to come back. Okay, maybe a few greater honors like winning the Stanley Cup or the Grey Cup or, or the Super Bowl or the World Series or, or the World Cup. But after all those things, there's no greater honor than being a repeat guest on Inside Sports. My name is Reed Wilkins. Enforcers Week, Volume 2. This gentleman was the star of Enforcers Week, Volume 1. And yes, we are bringing him back. It's the one and only Brent Gogol. Brent, you're on with Reed. How's life, buddy? Oh my God! What a what a steep cliff to climb. Thank you very much. <laughs> God, might as well set the bar high, right? That way we can just comfortably walk underneath it. <laughs> that's true. No one remembers who finished number two, right, Reed? Nobody. Nobody. Well, that's exactly right. That's exactly right. Look at Ben Johnson, right? I was going to talk about Jack Nicholas and uh, Johnny Miller. Like, how'd you like to be Johnny Miller when Jack Nicholas is in his game, or all the other guys after Tiger? So, oh. yeah, this is fun. Uh, I don't put myself in that yeah. category, but I'm just I'm kidding about that. If Tiger Woods uh, didn't take up golf, I think we're talking about Ernie Els, Phil Mickelson, and a few other guys a lot differently, aren't we? As great as those players were. Do you golf, by the way? Yeah, and enjoyed it. Didn't start till I was about 12 because my dad said it would mess up uh, my baseball swing, and I was actually a better baseball player than any other sport. So he resisted for a long time to let me play. But yeah, I enjoy it. It's it's very relaxing. Great for client uh, relationships, so yeah, I, I enjoy it for and, sure. And how good are you, or how bad well, are you? <laughs> I was as good as I was good as a seven, oh. and uh, now I, I hover around a twelve. And there's been the odd sporadic eighteen, which makes me want to throw everything in the creek. So, <laughs> yeah, I, I could do better if I played more. Yeah, well, I got my handicap down to twenty this summer. If I were ever eighteen, even for a week or two, I think I'd be thrilled. But uh, you know, I could break a hundred most of the time, which is still pretty, pretty, pretty hard. Supposedly the odds are like eighty percent can't break a hundred. Okay, I that, I don't understand that because it's not that hard. But yeah, still it's it's a fun game. Brent Gogol joining us on Inside Sports. All right, we didn't have you on to talk about golf. Uh, it is Enforcers okay. Week. You had 511 minutes in the dub in 77-78. You played pro. We loved having you on last time because uh, you loved playing that role when you played, and I know you you lament that it's uh, decreased as you, as you moved along. You know, about a year ago, Brent, uh, we lost Boris Fistrick, uh, Edmontonian. Obviously, his son Mark played in the NHL, was briefly uh, an Edmonton Oiler. And I, I assume you knew firsthand exactly how tough Boris was. No, it, it's true. He, uh, it's funny. He came out in my second year junior, my draft year. I was, I started the year in Victoria, and uh, they bring out. I think he was 16, turning 17, which should normally have embarrassed a 19-year-old like myself. But uh, 
he came out wearing Barry Beck's number. And that might as well have been, in New Westminster, a, a red flag because he was such a tough guy, you know, for the couple, three years that he played ahead of him. So if Ernie McLean thought that he was going to be the next Barry Beck, uh, Kurt Fraser, myself, and Glenn Cochran, we set out to teach Ernie and Boris a lesson. And in the first game we ever played him, the three of us took him on. And he never finished the period. He never finished the first period. So, no, I, we fought a few very, very... They had they were vicious battles, a couple brawls. In fact, my last fight in my ju- entire junior career was against Boris in the finals of the Western Hockey League and uh, ended up uh, chasing him all around the ice and uh, and having a lot of fun embarrassing him because he just didn't want to square off. But obviously you don't want to see someone go the way he did. And Mark is – I coached against Mark when I was in Short Park and uh, nice kid, good hockey player. So, yeah, you, you don't want to see someone go, but, you know, Boris uh, – that happens. It just, you know, there's been more than a few guys go by the wayside, haven't there? What, what, like, what, when you know, because you, I mean, obviously you fought a lot and the league was a little smaller, so you're playing the same teams with an incredible frequency. Like, was it expected if you played a team 14 times in a season, maybe 20 times when you factor in the playoffs, that every game you had to square off, or would there might be Absolutely. some nights where it might be like, okay, we'll see how it goes tonight? What was it like? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the only thing that ever like would, would bother you is, and now I understand guys like Dave Brown and those guys would tell people, listen, my hand's sore, I don't want to fight tonight, or my grandma's in the stands. Jim Kite tells a great story. Hey, Dave Brown says, I can't fight tonight, my grandmother's at the game. What? We didn't have those excuses. Didn't, if your hand was sore, you switched hands. Um, but yeah, 14 times, 12 to 14 times. And, and my second year was Boris Fistrick when I, you know, before I got traded. When I got traded to the Billings, back to the old Calgary Centennials, my new target was a guy by the name of Mel Hewitt. And through time, I still hate him. Like today, to this day, I just every chance we had to fight, we would, we would take advantage of him. He wasn't a huge guy, like 5'10", but he had pride himself on being a, a bodybuilder and a weightlifter. But that doesn't transcribe the fight to fighting all that well because, let's face it, you've been in the gym before. Weights don't punch you in the face. I do. <laughs> That's a great line. Uh, you should get a T-shirt with that made. So Mel, so Mel Hewitt was—he was a shorter guy then, but he was still pretty tough. Like, did you would think? Because I think you played it around six two. So yeah. what? How did? How was he able to stand in there with you? With I, I assume a reach disadvantage and a height disadvantage. Did, did did his size give you what? What challenges did it give you to deal with, Brent? Well, I think first of all, the main advantage was his lack of intelligence. He, you know that Superman punch that I was watching a uh, guy in Anaheim do these days? He's playing Vancouver, Bieksa. Yeah, yeah. He would try that, with a, but without the substance. He's just going to jump up in the air and throw his hands at you and try to get a hold of your shoulders. And he would just deck him. I decked him my first when he played in Saskatoon. And, I, I mean, he could, he could probably figure out a couple times the fights were close, but generally he just wasn't a good fighter. He fought a lot, and the only reason he survived, I can tell you, is he had a rubber face. You had to hit him with everything to cut him, and and I didn't see him cut very often. But just not a real, not a real clever guy, I don't think. In in the long run, and I can say that out loud because I still don't like him. If he came to my door right now, I'd start fighting on so, the driveway. So you you so still you still feel that way? If you saw this guy oh, you yeah. played against forty years ago, you'd have trouble having a civil conversation with him. Yeah, let's put it this way: in the American League, when he came off the bench, he comes and faces off against me. I look at him and go, okay. This is going to be a fight, and he's checking the tape on his stick. Why the guy that's playing three minutes is checking the tape job on his stick, I have no idea. So when the puck dropped, he looked down at his feet. My gloves were already there, and my fist was coming up towards his beak. So, I mean, 
if you're that dumb that you don't know after 10 fights in junior we're going to fight again when I see him in the American League, you, you should probably be driving the cab. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> Interesting story. I didn't say Uber. I didn't say Uber. Uh, well, with the ball, that's that's a whole other debate, Brent. Wow, if you want to get people fired up. <laughs> yeah, let's go. yeah, we probably shouldn't go there. Uh, Dave Hoida, I think he was uh, he grew up in in, uh, in Edmonton, and uh, I think he was uh, an Edmonton Oil King as well. Didn't you have a couple showdowns with him in junior? Absolutely. My my first year, I remember uh, sitting at the bench on the right hand side, and. Uh, we didn't have four lines. In those days, like we talked about a little bit earlier today, it was an outlaw league. The Western Hockey League prided itself on being playing on the edge. And I had Archie Henderson sitting on one side of me and Glenn Crockett on the other. And Dave Hoyda was doing what they say in, in hockey vernacular is running around. Right. And Patty Janelle can tell me, drapes his arms on one on Archie, one on me, and goes, hey, what is running around tonight? Who wants them? Predictably, there's dead silence on the bench. I mean, I'm looking up at Patty like, hey, Glenn, this could be your turn. Or Archie, let's, let's see what you got. They're looking ahead at the ice, and Archie goes, listen, listen, coach, I've had enough of him. Let Gokes do it. So off I go and line up against him. I remember cross-checking him in the shoulder, and he looked down at me like, what is this? What are you doing, Rook? And I did it again and again until finally he actually sided me so hard with the first punch, I was right down on my butt. But as a few guys learned that that just made me angry, I popped up. We fought for probably two minutes, ended up winning. And Patty Janelle was standing on the board and he's doing that whole Don Cherry thing, like getting the crowd cheering. And uh, and when I get to the penalty box and sit down, Dave Hoyt is going, "Don't take your don't take your helmet out, don't take your gloves out. You're a dead man." And I'm thinking maybe I can get the linesman to escort me back to my bench. I'm kind of tired. That didn't happen. <laughs> the five minute penalty's over. The gate's open, and he's waiting right outside the timekeeper's box, and he dropped me again with the first punch. But the problem was he like he thought it was over. And like I said, that was just the start. And the second fight, I was really angry and took him right behind the net. And one, two consecutive fights, Dale Yakutuk, who played in that team as a Calgarian, a friend of mine, and he said, you know what, Brent, we'd watch him beat Barry Beck. We watched him pound Larry Playfair. We, we saw him beat everyone, and then you come out of nowhere and beat him twice. And you know what? That's the last fight I had to have against Portland. Wow. It was good. Okay, you mentioned guys running around, and you're right, that's still a term that we use. Uh, well, I should ask you, what what did you think of, uh, of uh, I don't know if you saw this, of, of uh, Zach Cassian and Dubinsky late in that Edmonton-Columbus game? Because the Oilers, you know, kind of said Dubinsky was running around, and uh, Cassian sort of took that care of that. You know what, that, I'm glad that, that that behavior is still is still part of it to uh, mm. to make guys accountable. Just like we talked last time, the way particularly in junior hockey and some of the minor leagues like OHA, David Branch is leading that, that charge to take, you know, he, they call it violence out of hockey, but the violence increases when you have cheap shots and stuff. So Cass did exactly what he should have. Like, you know what, they, they got rid of Matt Hendricks, which I don't think was a good move. I mean, in Calgary, we're kind of perplexed how so many number one draft picks go to Edmonton and, and flare. I, I, that's a whole other discussion because, I mean, we're a hockey city, same as Edmonton, and we're always watching up there going, how do you get so many high picks that never really gel? Well, last year you had four guys protecting everybody. Edmonton had a great season. So I think Cass did exactly what, what anyone in his position should have done. He's tough and he's a hockey player. I like to qualify. There's yep. a lot of... There's a lot of fighters that can play hockey, but there's not a lot of hockey players that can fight. Well, I, I honestly think Cassian should he should be I think he should be playing with more of an edge than he has most of the season. I think that I think he was a little tentative with the hitting earlier this year. I don't know how much you saw, 
but he's the type of guy that can run around and say, what are you going to do about it, right? Well, if you saw him in junior, he's a really unique fighter. He puts his heels together. Most fighters like spread their feet into a boxer stance. He puts his heels together. I've never seen anything like it when he was coming out of junior. I've had a lot of respect for him, and pretty glad the closest I get to him is like an usher, a glass, and ten rows. <laughs> so, what was your? I mean, a lot, a lot of, you know, people will t- hockey people will talk about the code, and I always say, well, that's fine, but the code seems to be different for every every different guy, so that makes it hard to define a code. But let me ask you this. So a guy's running around, and let's say he's not the tough guy on the team. Maybe he's some uh, 16-year-old, 17-year-old rookie in the dub, and he's running around, but maybe he's he's a little guy and he hasn't filled out. And you know he's running around, but you also know you could damage him if you grab him, or maybe he's not even going to square up. How would you handle that situation? Would you deal with him, or would you go to the tough guy on the other team and communicate something either verbally or physically? You know, I, I've seen exactly what you're referring to in the game as it's evolved, and I was uh, that, that might be one of the things that hurt me in, in my you know trying to be a higher level player is that I didn't do the Marty McSorley thing. I didn't go after the Doug Gilmore's and the the one the Clark's. I, I had checking assignments where I, I checked the better players in the team, but I wouldn't. I wouldn't extend that to the violent side, but I, if there was a young guy, I definitely would get right in his face. I did it on more than one occasion when Dwayne Sutter came up to the Lethbridge Broncos. I did it to him because he, you know, these are all big, you know, strong farm kids. And I said, Dwayne, you really, really want to go there? That's how you're going to play today. And if they look down, then you know, you knew that they had accepted that that bit of warning. But there's a lot of guys out there that are a little thick, and once in a while they need a tuning. And you and you see after that how they play. So if they quit, a lot of guys are tough until you punch them in the face, and then they realize that eh, that hurt. I don't like that. So there's two ways to send a message. You can talk to them. I guess three. Uh, go after their best players, which was not my thing. I didn't like doing that. Or you can actually engage them and, and see how they come out of it. But, but they brought it on themselves, right? Like, you didn't, you didn't start it. Brent Gogol joining us on Inside Sports Enforcers Week, Volume 2. Okay, so you texted me yesterday and I'm just, I'm just going to read the, 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 the sentence here. You said, ask about the great Kentucky chicken night. And I was like, okay, I'll ask. What, what okay. is the great okay. Kentucky chicken night? So um, we're playing the Rangers' number two farm team. This the East Coast League, a league that I was really upset with that Minnesota put us in anyway. They put a whole team there. So we're playing the Richmond Rifles, the Rangers' farm team and it's kentucky fried chicken night so the first five thousand people got the old snack pack and that's also the day before that the iranian embassy had been overrun in in you know in the middle east yeah and uh i got into a a particularly vigorous fight with one of their guys i think his name was mike clark i can't remember completely and the fans were just getting on me getting on me so finally turned around and just yelled at them hey why are you worried about me why don't you go rescue your hostages Oh, my God. And that just buzzed the whole section. Period ends. We go in the dressing room. And don't ask me how, Reed. Uh, to this day, I don't know how they did it. But when I came back to the start of the second period, coming out in the ice, they had sheets. Already had sheets hanging over the glass, and they were painted. Gogol, you go to Iran. And the whole rink started chanting, Gogol, you go to Iran. Gogol, you go to Iran. So I zipped out of brainstorm, maybe not the smartest, zipped back in the dressing room. Took my helmet off, took a towel, taped it around my head like one of the Bedouin headdresses, 
I came back on the ice and I skated around the ice and I started giving the fans obscene gestures. And now the chicken is coming. The chicken is, it's a chicken hailstorm. There's, there's breasts, there's legs, there's half-eaten pieces, there's the boxes coming. People are throwing everything they can at me now. The other teams are like scurrying, you know, I can scurry back to the benches. I'm skating around the ice and this big chunk of chicken sitting right in the head, so I stopped, picked it up, and took a big bite out of it and just like growled at the fans. And half of them were laughing, half of them lost it. And uh, that's when I felt it tugging on my sleeve. I turned around and Junior Briaco, my coach, slaps me right across the face like I'm some kind of hysterical stewardess in airplane four. What are you doing? He goes, you're going to cause a riot. Get to the bench. I was so mad that another person other than my dad had hit me. I was going to quit the team. But I had uh, the troopers mad at me, the state troopers had their hands on their holsters. The rink rats were pissed because they had 20 minutes of chicken to clean up. But when I took a bite of that chicken, in my entire life, I've never heard that many people laugh in my entire career. So for me, it was worth it. I wow. wanted that scene in Slapshot, but the Hansons never called. That's Brent. That is uh, unreal. Obviously, uh, and I'm not uh, like obviously from a different time, as, as I'm sure yeah. you, you recognize. Were, did you receive any punishment for that misconduct, suspension, or was that just like the Wild West? I got ten. I got ten minutes for delay a game because it took him that long to clean the ice. <laughs> you got yeah, that's all it was. So I sat there, and I can tell you right now, the state trooper in those days, they wore those uh, smoking the bandit hat, and he said, you know, if those people come over the glass, I'm not going to stop them. You're an idiot. I said, you you got six bullets. Use me. He goes, I'll use them all on you. They can have you. Oh, so my it goodness. A, it was a little nerve-wracking when the police are saying, no. Let them tear you apart. Yeah. Geez, that wasn't very supportive of that guy at all. Brent Gogol <laughs> joining us on Inside Sports. It's uh, 722. Brent, I uh, just got you for uh, a few more minutes. Uh, great memories, but we should talk about the, the current NHL, and you touched on uh, Cassian and a little bit fr- uh, from the Oilers. Uh, you uh, obviously live in Calgary now. Uh, we're a little past the halfway point. Vegas, unbelievable. Who saw it coming? I, I think there are some powerhouse teams in the East. I like Nashville. I think they can beat you a lot of different ways. Uh, who, what team impresses you that maybe you think is going to be there deep in the playoffs? And I hate to do this because we, but we were allowed to change our predictions later on. But uh, what, who, what teams okay. impressing you? I, uh, I have a hard time looking past Nashville strictly because I've always felt, I mentioned before, after coaching Cam Ward and Midget, I love building teams from the net out. And who plays better on a consistent basis than Nashville's goaltender? Anytime you have someone that can keep you in the game after the mistake's been made and, and, and sort of come back with a kind of firepower, and they're nasty. They're aggressive and they're dirty. I like them. You know, the Rangers are sneaky. Uh, there, there are so many teams that on any individual night can beat you. And some of the other teams' goalies, they're getting a little long in the tooth. So it, it, it's still, I think you were alluding to, like it's a, it's a four- or five-team horse race. I don't see Chicago finishing like they used to. I just don't think they've got the kind of tending that they need and – I hate to dwell on the, on the puck stopper, but they're it. They're the guys that, when you look down the bench and you've got your number goalie in there, your team relaxes in front of them. Look how well Calgary's doing with Mike Smith. So I like Nashville. Uh, I, don't, I don't see our two teams in this province going very deep. I just, they're just some holes in the game that, that you know, need addressing. Okay, but. well, let, let, me, let me jump in there because I think we know the problems the Oilers have faced, and, and unfortunately in their situation, even if they play really, really well, they have so long to go. Calgary's on a good winning streak, but what do you think their Achilles heel is going to be here? Uh, uh, size. 
I oh, think really? He can come in, yeah, I think he can come into our rink. And Troy Brower is, is you know, he's got a Stanley Cup ring. This is a, you're, you're asking him to play a role that is unfamiliar to him, and he's, he's slowly, almost reluctantly embracing it for me from a, a fan on next player sitting in the stands. But can you imagine taking three or four hard runs at our number one line? They're, you know, they're, they're not that physical. And if you take on a number one line, secondary scoring is, is marginal. It's, it, every team wants secondary scoring. Calgary's been begging for it all year. It comes and goes. So if our guys get, get pounded hard, and I hopefully Mr. Trilliving's not listening to this, then I think if I was the coach, if you put me in the NHL, I'm pounding Calgary. I've seen St. Louis do it to us. I've seen Nashville do it to us. I've seen the other teams. And they give us a hard time, you know, and, and that's how I would I would address it. Calgary wouldn't get very far if I was playing against them. You know, it's funny, uh, Frank Cervelli on the TSN website did all the team's needs as the trade deadline sneak it up on us. I think, like, half the teams he had secondary scoring as a need, right? Like, it's just, it's so hard to have six or seven forwards who can consistently produce points, right? No, it's true. I, I used to love the late John Ferguson. I asked him one time, what's your formula for success? He goes 4-10-4. I want four pure goal scorers. I want 10 support guys and four animals. You guys had that formula last year. Edmonton had that, and they did very well. Maybe Mr. Talbot wasn't ready yet, and Lawrence certainly is still trying to find his game. Uh, great kid, by the way. We know him personally, and I, I really hope he does find his game and sticks around a long time. But you you, you got to have it all, and it's all got to come together at the exact same time. You try to get your peaking going in, and... Injuries are a factor. Like that's one of the things that could help them and NCOG is if some of these other hotshot teams get a few guys hurt, you get you get a chance to to overload them. Yeah, that's a good point for sure. Brent, you're so generous with your time. Uh, incredible stories. Thanks for being so candid and uh, sharing that with us. Enforcers Week, Volume Three or Four, we'll have to have you back for sure because I know people love hearing for you. Thank you so much for coming on tonight. You're very welcome, and uh, continued success to you and your crew up there. Right on. That is Brent Gogol checking in. Man, love talking to him. He is a star on this show for sure. And, yeah, yeah, reached out to him, uh, like I said, a couple months ago when we did that first Enforcers Week. He had 511 penalty minutes in 77-78, split his uh, WHL season between Billings and Victoria, mostly with Billings. Man, he had some wild stories. That chicken story, I'm going to remember that one for a while. Inside Sports on Ched, Jelena Mergenovic after the 7.30 News. This is Mark Potestu from your Edmonton Oilers, and you're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on Oilers Radio 630 Chet. Thanks a lot for tuning in tonight. Brent Gogol was on the show. Enforcers Week Volume 2. We had Darcy Hordachuk yesterday. We're uh, planning to be joined by Brent Myers likely on Friday. Some texts coming in during the Gogol interview. This texter saying, yeah, this guy is way too arrogant. Another texter says, this guy is awesome, old school, great guest. Jay says, great guest, Reed. I wish there was video of the chicken fest. Yeah, imagine having YouTube and cell phones while that was going on. Another texter simply says, please tell me this will be on a podcast. It will be. There's an Inside Sports podcast available through iTunes, which I guess is something you can get on a telephone or a 
iPod type device. Check or you back just, after 8.30 tonight on iTunes. Or you just go on 630ched.com and go to the Inside Sports page and you can click on all the audio files there as well. That other voice was Kellen Kennedy who actually puts all the audio on the podcast. Hey, great work, Kellen. Hey, thank you very much. And like I said, after 8.30 tonight, both hours one and two will be up there for everybody to download and consume and listen to as many times as they want. Well, I recommend not consuming it as food. Just it's a podcast. Through your ears. Okay. Uh, Jelena Mergenovic is on the phone, one of our uh, favorites on the program, eight-time world boxing champion. Jelena, thanks for making time for old Wilkie. How are you doing? Hey, I'm good. I'm good. I think you just said that just because you're afraid of uh, when I'm in studio with you. It's okay. You're safe. I'm on the phone today. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm only mildly afraid of you. I've gotten used to you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it is great to talk to you. Uh, we want to catch up on a, on a few things here. And uh, on, a, on a serious note, obviously off the hop, I know there was uh, stuff going on at City Hall today related to the moratorium on combat sports and, and uh, the, the tragic death of Tim Haig. Can you give us a sense of what, what, was, uh, what was going on today and if anything has sort of progressed or, or changed with the moratorium? It was uh, yeah, it was a long afternoon. Uh, we were on the docket for one thirty, and I personally left there at about five thirty p.m. So it was, it was quite the day. Um, we had about sixteen, or actually, it grew to nineteen. We had nineteen speakers um, that got to say their part to city council and, and at least have our word our words be heard um, for the first time for a lot of these people, myself included. Um, you know, I think the progression was, was in a positive manner. Um, the city council was very um, concerned after hearing from everybody, and they're definitely motivated now to make a decision sooner rather than later. Okay, well, that's hopefully turns out to be positive because I know late in 2017 this threw a wrench in some plans obviously i talked to a local promoter who had to cancel something a a week before uh he had the event planned and obviously plans for i know you want to have your 50th fight in in edmonton so uh, a moratorium would obviously make that extremely difficult um you feel let me ask this are there any further plans for fight 50 and you feel more encouraged after today that it might be able to happen in edmonton i feel slightly more uh, positive about having Fight 15 Edmonton. I know for um, you know, I, I made my, my voice be heard there that if, if I do not fight, um, if there is a year ban in combative sports, I will, I will in fact get stripped of my world title. So um, this is not only just banning the sport for me specifically, I mean I can't speak up for the other fighters, but um, this ban potentially would end my career. Um, to have such a um, a notable career that I have had a lot of ups and downs, but but more ups than downs, it would be an unfortunate way to end it. So um, I I definitely made that point be known to city council. I don't think they understood the repercussions that they um, that that was going to happen because of this moratorium. And I don't think that they really understood the scope of the ban and the scope of of essentially putting us all out of work. Um, you know, a lot of us fighters and promoters and, and all the people involved across combative sports, um, this is their full-time job. So it's not just something we do as a hobby or a side thing, um, you know. So 
there was a lot of emotional people that spoke today, and it was really nice to hear and see the community come together as one, um, and to see the kind of support that we could we could rally for an afternoon, a working afternoon, because everybody did have to find other ways to support themselves. Um, so it was it was a uh, it was very um, encouraging. All right. First of all, that's greatest was encouraging, but I, I think you said something that I, I have to follow up on there. That if you don't fight within a year, um, then you lose your title. It's so, actually less than a year now. It would have to be from a year of my last. Well, right, which yeah. was uh, July. 1st. Which was okay. So, geez, okay. So, would you not be willing to fight in another jurisdiction, though? Well, how it works is, and then I've been. I think a lot of people weren't aware of this. Is every time I fight abroad, I need a letter of permission from my from my local council. So I need a, a letter saying that I am, in fact, a licensed fighter from my from my current commission. So when I fought in France the last time, um, the Edmonton Sport and Combative Commission had to write a letter to the France Commission stating that I was able to, uh, to defend my world title. So if the commission is on a moratorium, I'm unable to get a license. Now, um, the mayor definitely did put a uh, a note in there and then i think they believe they passed it that um if you're an edmontonian that the city council and the the commission would still issue licenses um to fight outside of edmonton it was more that now we were not able to fight in edmonton okay i i didn't even realize that 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 they they wouldn't be able to license you to fight outside of edmonton so hopefully that's quickly resolved because that could affect hundreds of fighters uh, oh, a thousand percent. My advice, um, my advice to other fighters, um, you know, now my advice would be a little different given this, the the meeting that we had today. But my advice prior to this meeting to young fighters who were looking for advice for me and what they should do, my advice was to leave Edmonton and find a house, uh, find a place somewhere else that would support them, and then and would they, they would be able to um, nourish and develop their career. Um, you know, I've I've been fortunate in the past that I had that support from the city up until December. Okay. Well, hopefully you you quickly get it back. That's something we definitely want yeah, to follow. Yeah, and, and I mean, you're, you know, you made a question there about fighting another jurisdiction. It's my 50th fight. I was looking. I haven't fought at home in once in three years, I think, in the past three years. I was looking forward to being able to... Um, showcase my skills and and defend my world title in front of my fans and my family and the support that got me to where I'm at. So um, to put it in perspective, Floyd Mayweather only just had his 50th fight um, recently. This is a, an iconic moment to fighters that it, it's now at this point, you know, it's about where you make this moment happen. Floyd Mayweather is lucky enough to do it in his home in his in his home venue of Las Vegas and have that amazing support that he had there. I was wanting to be able to do the same thing in the city of Edmonton. Um, given that I started my career here, I've had my ups and downs, um, and that this is my hometown. I'm I'm an entrepreneur and a business a new business owner in the city of Edmonton as well, um, and that's what's tying me to the city right now. Otherwise, I would have definitely looked into you know trying to move somewhere else in order to be able to do what I love to do. 
All right. Well, hopefully it doesn't come to that. And I'm glad you mentioned the new business. Jelena Mergenovich joining us on Inside Sports. Corner of 102nd Avenue and 109th Street, Champs Boxing Studio just opened. I think the grand opening uh, event is Friday night. This is a really cool venture for you, Jelena. Tell us a little bit about why you wanted to do this and how it's going to work. Well, so this is is my new little baby, my new venture, um, Champs Boxing Studio. Um, It is a fitness, uh, boxing-inspired fitness class, basically. Um, It is for all walks of life, um, zero experience necessary, um, and it's basically to bring my love of the sport of boxing and the workout that is entailed in boxing and bring it to the general fitness public. Um, I, my muse is actually for my studio where my family and my sisters in particular who maybe would be a little bit more intimidated to walk into a boxing gym um, and, and go and get that kind of workout. And, and I wanted to give something that that wasn't a little intimidating, wasn't too intimidating, wasn't that grungy, boxy, boxing kind of feel and, uh, and to really get a great workout and, and to be led through a boxing-inspired type thing. Awesome. ca. if people want to learn more. Yeah, yeah, champsboxing.ca, and um, we're all on, on social media and our website. There's a link for everything in our, on our uh, all of our schedules and everything like that. You know, I, I basically wanted something that everybody could come and have a blast doing. You kind of um, gloves on, lights out, and have a great workout. Well, Jelena, I wish you all the best with that. Obviously, uh, we'll keep an eye on what's going on with uh, City Council and the Combative Sports Ban. Hopefully that's dealt with soon, and hopefully you have Fight 50 in Edmonton, I guess, in the next uh, five and a half months. So that's an important date. Thanks again so for being so generous with your time. Always love having you on the show. We'll talk to you soon. Yeah, thanks for having me on. And, and I, I do want to you know, say after this meeting that the, the feeling is definitely slightly, marginally more positive. So... Um, you know, I feel like we're moving the needle in the right direction. Jelena, thank you. Thanks. Inside Sports on Chad. We're coming right back. This is Adarius Bowman from your Edmonton Eskimos, and you're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on 630 Chad. has been singing the national anthem in Boston before Bruins games since the 75-76 season. This will be his last season at the microphone. He did the anthem before tonight's game between the Bruins and the Canadians. Boston has just scored early in the third period. They lead Montreal 3-1. NHL action later on tonight. The Ducks will host the Penguins. The Edmonton Oilers on a bye week, 10 points out of a playoff spot at the moment. Obviously, that uh, could be extended as they got to sit around and not play for a couple more days. Next action 
Furnace Family Oilers Hockey, Edmonton's furnace replacement experts. Call 7804-FAMILY or visit FurnaceFamily.com. We have the Oilers hosting the Vancouver Canucks on Saturday night, 6.30 face-off show. The game will start at 8. Jack Michaels and Bob Stoffer will have the play-by-play. The Oilers scheduled to get back at practice Friday at 11 in the morning. Inside Sports on Oilers and Eskimos Radio, 6.30 Chet. Hi, this is Ryan Nugent Hopkins from your Edmonton Oilers. You're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on Oilers Radio, 630 Chad. Hey, I want to remind you that the uh, Stollery Radiothon tomorrow afternoon news is going to be there, 2 to 6. Morning news is going to be there. Kissing will be there from 6 to 6. Phone lines will uh, be open, so that's going to be uh, a pretty big day, obviously, here on 630 Chet and Kissing Country 103.9. Reed Wilkins with you. It's Inside Sports on Oilers and Eskimos Radio 630 Chet. Uh, another news here, hockey pioneer Willie O'Ree honored in Boston. 60th anniversary of the Bruins forward breaking the NHL's color barrier. The mayor of Boston declaring it Willie O'Ree Day. He made his debut back in 1958. 3-0 victory. It was actually in Montreal against uh, the Canadians. Now 82 years of age, native of Fredericton, New Brunswick. Wound up playing 45 games in the NHL over parts of two NHL seasons. 21 years in pro hockey. For the last two decades, he has been the NHL's diversity ambassador, spreading the message that hockey is for everyone. So some news out of Boston today with that and, of course, the upcoming retirement of their anthem singer. Man, that was a great show tonight. Uh, Again, you can catch anything you missed on the podcast. Brent Gogol. Uh, sometimes outrageous, always entertaining as we uh, continue with Enforcers Week here on Inside Sports. We caught up with Greg Hoggood, former NHL defenseman, including a stint with the Oilers, now working at a, a maximum security prison in Kamloops. Quite a career transition for him. And right off the top at 6 o'clock tonight, we had Riley Scorgy in studio. She's currently on the ice, an 11-year-old with the Pee Wee Girls Ice Guardians team playing in minor hockey week. And uh, she got through Guillain-Barre's syndrome, which basically she was losing use, uh, u- losing the use of her muscles. And uh, there was worries, obviously, about her not being able to walk or, or be confined to a wheelchair. She was able to get through that. She's having an incredible season with 54 goals in 20 games. And, oh, ESPN named her the best player in the world of the week. That's pretty cool that ESPN takes notice of somebody in little old Edmonton. Great stuff. So the Oilers will get back to work on uh, Friday. The Eskimos were moving towards free agency. Uh, Kenny Stafford's going to join us in studio tomorrow. We'll also have uh, Kelly Rudy making his weekly appearance on the show. We had Mike Riley on the show yesterday. He talked about that incredible video he was in put out by the Edmonton Economic Development Corporation. Good interview with Mike who said he used to joke about the Kevin Glenn curse that wherever Kevin Glenn went, the starter would wind up getting injured. Well, Mike says now that Kevin Glenn's coming to Edmonton. He's not so worried about it. He thinks he's going to be fine. Reigning MOP in the Canadian Football League. Kellen, great work tonight, buddy. Awesome show. This was fun. 
Yep, talk to you tomorrow. Well, I'll see you then. That is Kellen Kennedy, our studio producer. New dad, Dave Campbell, back at work today. He's the producer of Inside Sports. He was on paternity leave. Boy, I got a lot of stories about changing diapers and babies having gas today. <laughs> Thanks, Dave. Always informative. I'm, I'm pretty open to doing any type of segment on the show. I, I'm not sure we're going to be doing that one. My name is Reed Wilkins. Thanks to everybody who texted in as well. Always a pleasure to talk to you. Adler is up next. Have a great night. Six thirty, Chad. Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins, weekdays at six on Six Thirty, Chad.